<laughs> you haven't even heard the message yet. <laughs> Clapping before things really get started here this morning. It's always good to be back in Whiting. Uh, so good to be back with you this morning. Uh, several years ago, a couple years ago, back in the fall, um, I was at this conference and uh, Guy by the name of Judd Wilhite uh, was there preaching, and uh, uh, we kind of have a, a loose connection with Judd because uh, we have some friends of ours that used to live in Las Vegas, go to, to Judd's church, and, and so one day we were talking about Judd and, and all the things that, that he does uh, really well, and they were just saying, yeah, you know, we really enjoy this guy, so I happened to be at this conference, and, and I noticed that his name was on the lineup, and so I'm, you know, I'm leaning in a little bit more, Right. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting. He was just talking about some of the things that happen in ministry from time to time. And he said, uh, you know, uh, their church in Las Vegas has grown and lots of people uh, coming to know who Jesus is because of the ministry that they're doing in Las Vegas. And, and, uh, and Judd happened to be out uh, for a c- couple of days and, and he had a, a lineup of uh, ministry things that, that he was doing. And, and there was a particular gentleman that really wanted to have a meeting with Judd. I mean, like, really wanted to have a meeting. And so he came in uh, one morning, and, and the secretary happened to be there and, and uh, said, Hey, uh, is Judd available? I, I really need to talk to him. And said, You know, uh, uh, you know we'd love to, to, to get you an appointment. Um, uh, there's several other staff members. We'd love to, to be able to, uh, uh, you know, if you have an issue that, that maybe they can handle. No, it's got to be Judd. And uh, so, you know, Judd was notified, um, you know, hey, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I have several appointments, um, but I'd be free to, to meet, you know, at some other time. And, and this guy kept coming back, and, he, and by the time at the end of the day came, um, you know, Judd was not even on the campus, right? And, uh, and this guy was just angry, just really angry that Judd was not available. And, uh, and so, you know, early in the morning, uh, some of you don't even know that this hour exists, 5.30 in the morning, uh, some of you call that oh dark 30, right? 5.30 in the morning, this gentleman decides to take his little Kia through the front doors of the church building and he proceeds to play demolition derby in their church. You see, the, the church building that, that, uh, where Judd preaches happens to be kind of one of those round churches. So there's a large hallway and it goes all the way around. And so this gentleman drove his car through the front doors and then played demolition derby all the way down the hall doing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. And you think that when you're doing great ministry, things like that just simply shouldn't happen, right? When people are coming to know who Jesus is, like people shouldn't be allowed, like God somehow should stop them before they reach the front door. Like their engines should stop or they get a flat tire, but sometimes that's not what happens. In fact, sometimes the faithful preaching of the gospel uh, leads us to, re- to relentless opposition. Sometimes we don't get the results that we really anticipate. 
Sometimes we want baptisms and small group, group growth. Sometimes we just want this massive multiplication. We want service projects being done. We want people going on mission trips. Uh, we want new church plants, right? Uh, we want a community impact. We want new building projects. And sometimes what we're greeted with instead is relentless opposition. If you're new to this whole gospel idea, if you're new to, to ministry in general, let me just tell you right now, at some point, there is going to be opposition. And this opposition isn't just going to be something that you find on Facebook. It's not going to be someone text bombing your phone. Uh, it, it's going to be consistent. It's going to be nonstop. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be all-encompassing. It's going to be forceful and unrelentless. It is going to be relentless opposition. You guys are kind of sorry that you clapped when I came up here already, aren't you? <laughs> Relentless opposition. I want to take you into Scripture this morning in uh, Acts chapter 17. I want to read through uh, this story of opposition that's faced in the, in the early church, church, Acts 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, you say it however you want, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he's there an extensive amount of time, he responded with them from the Scriptures and, and explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This was Jesus I am proclaiming to you is dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. And so they rounded up bad characters from the marketplace and they formed a mob and they started a riot in the city and they rushed to Jason's house to search for Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they, but when they did, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men uh, who have caused trouble all over the world have come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is no other king. There is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and then they made Jason and the others post bond, and they let them go. And, and we would think that the story ends here, but it really doesn't. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. And many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there too. And they were agitating the crowds and they were stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And the men escorted Paul, brought him to Athens and then let, left him with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Sometimes, sometimes, doing church, preaching the gospel looks a lot more like a demolition derby of relentless opposition, doesn't it? 
the story, as so many stories in Acts do. It starts with Paul. And he is doing what he is always doing in Acts. He is always preaching the gospel. And the good news is that some join in Paul's crew. Some go, yeah, that that sounds really great. They believe in what Paul is saying and they decide to join him in what he is doing. The problem, however, is that uh, when you have a shift in power between one kingdom and another, uh, those who lose power want it back. And so the text tells us what's going on here. Verse 5, they were jealous. And this, this, this emotion of, of, of this raging jealousy is, is a desire to have power back that has been lost to them because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if you were to look at this word of jealousy, there's only really one other time in the book of Acts when this, this word of jealousy comes back up. You, it's in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is going to be stoned and there's people uh, so angry, so jealous. They're in a rage of the fact that Stephen is accusing them of something. Stephen loses his life at the end of that sermon. May this sermon, dear Lord, end a little better You see, we can go back to scenes of the crucified Christ, can't we? And we can recognize that there were those there who were stirring up the crowds. They were taking it like a large pot of soup and they were just stirring it up. It's kind of like a, 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 bad, a bad stomach illness. They were just stirring it up and, and you could feel it. The opposition was rising. The rabble was being roused. They were gathering. They were rioting. Uh, Cities were being turned into cesspools of turmoil. And you would think that that was enough, right? Uh, You would think that while Paul is doing that there in Thessalonica, that their jealousy would be enough. Uh, that they could stop, that when he leaves they would stop, but it doesn't stop there. If you look in verse 10 and verse 13 of the text that I read earlier for you, they come after Paul in Berea. Now, you're thinking, yes, so what, Mike? Paul goes from Thessalonica to Berea. What's the big deal about that? They come after him. Here's the big deal. What you need to know is that Berea is about 40 miles from Thessalonica. 40 miles. Now, do you and I, we hop in our car, 10 bucks worth of gas, not $15 worth of gas, I might add, $10 worth of gas, and we're there in 40 minutes. It's not a big deal. But for those here in this time, it's, it's not just a, a $10 and 40 minutes. It's two days on foot over rough terrain, right? They want to get Paul so much that they would, they would go over heaven and earth to make sure that Paul is stopped. I, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a long cross-country flight from New York to L.A., I happened to look on Expedia.com last night. What would it cost me to go from L.A. to New York tomorrow? It would cost me $675.89. At great cost to themselves. At great time expense. They are willing to move heaven and earth to stop Paul in this preaching of the gospel. You see, sometimes the simple truth is that faithful proclamation leads to relentless opposition. And that happens today. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the gospel message isn't exactly tolerant these days in our culture. 
People sometimes aren't always really excited about its lack of inclusiveness. Can I tell you what the church is in for? It's in for relentless opposition. So as I stand here in western Iowa this morning, here's the question that I want to ask you. Is the gospel worth the price you have to pay? Is the gospel worth the price you have to pay? And what will you do when the payment of opposition comes due and it meets you at your front door? Now, before you answer that question, I want you to take another look back at the text. See, uh, there's Paul, and there's the Bereans, and we'll get to them, uh, but there's this other guy named Jason, and he seems to be lost in the wash of everything that's going on in this story of opposition. Uh, you see, you get the sense uh, that Jason is one of the new followers that, that have come to know who Jesus is. You get the sense like, like Paul has met him and it has been received in his life and in his heart and Paul and Silas come to stay at his house. And even though they're after Paul, when they come to Jason's house and don't find him, they grab Jason. And I want you to notice the accusation uh, that they provide in verse 7. Look at, look at verse 7. Notice, notice what they say. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree. Uh, This isn't a a religious accusation. It's a political one. They're defying Caesar, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Imagine this for a moment. The FBI and the CIA, anybody 24 fans? CTU comes to visit you your front door. They show up at your door, and when you open it, they have warrants for your arrest. They, they hand them to you. They put you in cuffs. They put you in the car, and they proceed to go and ransack your home. They take your computer. They take all of your emails. They are looking for some, uh, so, some sort of correspondence. They dismantle your cabinets. They, they confiscate your financial records. They put your face on the evening news. You are now among FBI most wanted lists. And then even beyond all the social stigma that has now been attached to your name, you're forced to, to put a second mortgage on your home in order to make bail. You have to empty out your bank account all because you agreed to have a small group in your home. That is Jason's plight. When opposition comes knocking on your door because of the gospel of Christ, how exactly will you respond? I want to introduce a young lady. She's a student at uh, Nebraska Christian. Her name's Jordan. And I want to suggest to you that she knows all about what it's like to have opposition in an unlikely place come and visit her at her front door. This is her story. This is her response. Go ahead and take a look. I grew up in a non-Christian home, and my parents never went to church. They never took me to church, and it wasn't until my sophomore year in high school that I really started to go, and I started to develop this relationship with Christ. And the more that I developed my relationship with Christ, the more I developed this passion for ministry. And as I continued on in high school, it came to a point where it was decision time, and I had to decide where I was going for college and what I was going to do with my life. 
And at that time, my mom had a job at Creighton University, and so she had tuition remission, which meant that I got my entire college paid for going to Creighton. And so $40,000 a year paid for sounds absolutely wonderful. And I had in my mind that I was going to go for social work or elementary school teaching, and my parents supported me in that. And then when I realized and decided about a week before I was going to Creighton that I wanted to go into ministry and I wanted to major in pastoral ministry and be a preacher, um, it didn't go over very well with my parents. They thought I was throwing away my education in high school, my good grades. They thought that Bible college was equivalent to clown college and the fact that I was giving away $40,000 to pay $20,000 to go to Bible college was probably the stupidest decision that I've ever made. And the fact that I love my parents so much and they didn't support me in that decision, it hurt. It hurt a lot and I'm a big people pleaser so the fact that I wasn't pleasing my parents was really, really upsetting. And so just to please them, I ended up going for that first semester to Creighton and realizing even more there that it just wasn't where I was supposed to be. It wasn't where God was calling me to, and he was telling me, you know, my opinion is even above that of your parents. And so um, after my first semester of college, I transferred schools to Nebraska Christian. My parents were not happy. They reluctantly helped me shop for dorm supplies and, and helped me register for school, but they knew and didn't appreciate or approve of my decision. And now that I'm here, I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. And the coolest thing is that my parents are realizing more and more that this is where I'm supposed to be. And they've come to um, appreciate what I'm doing and what I want to do. My parents still don't go to church, but that's okay because I know that God is working in their hearts. And I know that as, as I'm continuing on in my education here, that they will see that I'm, I'm mean business when I say that I believe in Christ and I'm following him. That it's not some silly, silly milly idea that I've gotten. It isn't some something that it's some dream I'm chasing after that doesn't exist like this is real life and this means a lot to me and so making the decision to go to Bible college was probably one of the hardest ones that I've ever had to make and I don't regret any of it and the fact that I made that decision for God and I followed him in that has helped me grow so much more in my faith and it's it's been absolutely wonderful do you hear it do you recognize it? Relentless opposition. Sometimes it can come from the most unlikely place. When we align ourselves with the gospel of Jesus, it's going to result in relentless opposition. In teaching his disciples, Jesus gave crazy words, crazy purpose statements. He said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And then in the verses that follow, he begins to lay out verse by verse, uh, really uh, beginning to try and say, if you don't hate your mother and father, your brothers and your sisters. In other words, what he's saying is, I need absolute allegiance. Is the gospel worth the price you may, have to, you may have to pay? Now before you decide, before you make that choice of how you want to answer that question, let me take you again uh, back into the text. Look at verse 11. Uh, there's this group of people uh, that we found in the very end of that passage. In verse 11, it talks about these Bereans. And it says, now the Bereans 
were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, uh, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. Uh, So they took this controversial figure, this Paul whom they'd no doubt heard about, and they followed him. And so when he came to town and he's preaching his message, uh, they take agonizing hours and study just to see if what Paul is saying is actually true. Several years ago, I had a good friend, and uh, he was he was being visited regularly by by a couple of folks in the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. And he said, "I don't know what exactly." Uh, provoked this conversation, but instead of just taking their pamphlets and throwing them away in the garbage and watching as they left, he wanted to take an opportunity of people coming to his door to proclaim the gospel, and so he engaged them. And so he began to study hour after hour. He didn't want to dismiss anything. And so for hours he poured over the scriptures uh, to try and be give an opportunity for the gospel to have fruit. It even led him into some uh, challenging exposition of the Greek text. He was even willing to go into the original languages. One part was so that he might defend his faith. The other was so that he would be ready to present the gospel. And so my question is, what will you do when opposition comes to your door? What, will you, what are you willing to pay for the gospel? Will you go and travel like Paul? Will you pay like Jason? Will you study like the Bereans? I, I mean, don't you feel the opposition? Do you feel the opposition in your life? Do, do you feel it maybe in this church? With gospel-centered ministry, there's no alternatives. It's going to be different in every situation. It's not going to look maybe the same, but everybody's going to have to pay something. Everybody pays. When we choose to follow the gospel, uh, we're choosing the harder, narrow road. And if this is news to you, let me assure you, it will come. So you're here this morning. You're a high school student. And you're fine today. Everything is wonderful. You are as faithful today as you have ever been in your whole life. But Tuesday morning, uh, Tuesday afternoon at lunch, you're going to be in the cafeteria. And you're going to be around your friends, some of whom are not here, some of whom uh, probably don't really care about Jesus. And they're going to challenge your sense of sexual purity that you have decided uh, to make because of Jesus. And there may be a price to be paid And it might be popularity. Someone's going to call you a prude, uh, and they're going to challenge the very faith that you say today that you're standing on. High school student, you're going to have to pay a price. And are you willing to pay it? Someone might say of you, hey, why don't you go ahead and text this or Facebook that or Snapchat this, and it's going to challenge you. And you're going to have to decide, will you pay that kind of price You know relentless opposition. You're here this morning and you're a college student, and I know college students. College students want more than anything else to do one thing, graduate. 
You're in your last semester of college and you have that philosophy credit that you didn't quite take care of early on or, or you have to take that last biology or chemistry class and, and there is a, the professor in that class who, who wants nothing to do with Jesus. They've made that absolutely plainly clear uh, that, uh, that science and Christianity just don't mix in his world. And so you turn that last paper in And in the conclusion, you leave the door wide open for the opportunity for there to be a creator God. And the professor brings you into their office and he says, without mixed words, if you allow for this conclusion, I will fail you in this class. It means you don't graduate. College student, you know relentless opposition. What will you pay for the gospel? You're here this morning. You're an employee. That's most of us. You're trying to make ends meet just like all of us. You're trying to put some money away for retirement. You're trying to provide for your family. You're trying to do the things uh, that, that you want to do. You have the mortgage and you'd like to give to the church. You have no fear of talking about your faith at work. In fact, there are times uh, when given the opportunity, uh, you, you walk through the door and invite someone here to, to Whiting Christian Church. You say, you know, uh, there's, this, there's this great church, and this weekend there happens to be this really great preacher. You ought to come. No, no, you don't say that last part. But, but you say, hey, why don't you come to church? There's this community that I really think that you ought to be, ought to be a part of. And they come, and they come again, and they come again, but, uh, but there's a couple people that didn't come. And it gets back to the news of your boss, and she calls you into her office, and she says, hey, you know what, I think you do a great job. I think you're real efficient in what you do, but let me be very clear. Uh, when you walk through the doors of this office, then you need to leave your faith on the front doorstep. And you have a decision to make. You might lose your job if you continue to go and talk to people about Jesus and invite them to church. You might lose opportunities for promotion. Other people are going to pass you by, and there you will be, standing with your faith, and you're going to have to decide. Employees, you know about relentless opposition, and you're going to have to decide. What are you willing to pay? You're here and you're a parent of a child who never wants to come to church. They fight you tooth and nail every single Sunday morning, uh, time and time again. Every time you head to church, you're just tired of hearing the same old arguments. I'm too tired. I feel sick. I don't want to go. And you're wondering, is it worth it anymore? Should I just let them make their own decision? Parents, you know relentless opposition even in your own home, and you're trying to say uh, back with uh, the folks in Deuteronomy 6, I want to impress this upon you. I want you to know and love this Jesus. I want you to claim this faith on your own so that the next generation will know. Parents, you know relentless opposition, and you have to decide right now, uh, what are you willing to pay when it comes to the gospel? You have friends, you're in relationship with all sorts of people and the, and the topic around the table turns to politics and they ask you, what do you think about gay marriage? And you express it in terms of sin and you're called intolerant and a bigot 
And after that, they're not sure if they want to be your friends anymore. Friends, you know relentless opposition. Maybe you're a leader in this church and you've been fasting and you've been praying for weeks about uh, the opportunity and the privilege to set the table for God's direction for God's people here in Whiting, Iowa. And you know uh, that, that God is opening up the door for, uh, for directional things that, that would change the, the impact of this church and the community and in the region. And you're excited about it. But, but you know that if, those th- if you're to walk through that door as a leader of the church, that there's going to be opposition by those who sit in the pews because it means tough changes are ahead because you want to reach as many as possible for the gospel of Jesus Christ and leaders you will face opposition you know what relentless opposition looks like and so you have to decide what are you willing to pay it's everywhere isn't it When we carry our faith well with Jesus Christ, it's in our jobs and it's in our activities, it's in our politics and our finances, it's in our families, it's in our education, it's everywhere. Just like Paul, just like Jason, just like the Bereans and the Thessalonians, what will you do when opposition comes? Because it will. What will you pay Now, I probably overstayed my welcome already, but I want to ask one more question. I want to ask one more question of the text. I want to ask this question, why? Why? Why did Jason pay the city officials off? Why did Paul keep traveling rather than just give up and give in? Why did the Bereans examine and listen carefully to what Paul was saying? You want to know why Paul tells this story in Acts? He doesn't tell this story in Acts so that we'll go home, lick our wounds, and just simply focus on all the opposition that we have to face. That's not the point. Paul tells this story to encourage us to commit. He tells this story so that we will be encouraged to commit. The bottom line, uh, the thing that you have to walk out of this room thinking and feeling is, yes, relentless opposition will come. But when relentless opposition comes, it demands unwavering commitment. Luke tells us this story so that we will commit. High school student, you have to decide to commit. College student, you have to decide to commit. Parents, leaders, let's commit. Luke tells us this story so that we will, with unwavering faithfulness, commit to Christ, recognizing that He will take care of us, whatever that might mean. Last year, I was following a story rather closely about Hobby Lobby. It's owned by uh, the David Green family. They have 578 stores in the U.S. And their mission statement, very interesting, their mission statement is this. Honoring the Lord in all that we do by operating the company in a manner consistent with biblical principles. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so you have this, this company whose mission statement uh, says, we stand on biblical principles. What's interesting is that because of the new health care reform, 
they were going to be forced to offer uh, free contraceptives that may cause women to abort babies. And they said no. They said if we are not able to stop this action from going through and the government forcing us to offer this kind of health care, we would rather close more than 500 stores because our commitment to the gospel is high. Now, you may not own 500 Hobby Lobby stores, but you are in places with people who don't yet know Jesus. And if the Scriptures teach us anything this morning, it's that opposition, relentless opposition, will come. And so I'm challenging you what I think the text is challenging us with. When relentless opposition comes, dig your heels in the ground and have unwavering commitment. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you're good. (laughs) You're really amazing, actually. God, thanks for letting me come up and talk about your word. And God, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit is moving and present in people's lives. And Father, if there's opposition present, I pray, Father, that there's unwavering commitment. I pray that people will live in their faith. And when they do, Father God, you will, you will open up the doors for, for the gospel in ways that we couldn't begin to imagine. I pray, Father, that you'll change this church and this town and this region because of the commitment of people right here in this room right now. I pray that our commitment is that high. Whatever it takes, help us to know, help us to commit. We love you in Jesus' name.